Maybe you remember getting your first paycheck when you realized that 30% or so was taken out in taxes. <laughs> you probably weren't saying, man, I'm so happy to be contributing to my government, right? Well, I've been through a couple tax seasons and got caught off guard with large tax bills. And it was tempting to try in those moments uh, to get by without paying. And shamefully, I admit there, there were times when I wasn't totally above board with my taxes. You guys are looking at me like, wait, that's the pastor? <laughs> but as I came to surrender my life and allegiance to Jesus more and more, I realized that becoming a citizen of heaven should never diminish my ability to be a good citizen on earth. Just the opposite. I learned that it is not just my worship on Sunday or the bigger issues of morality that mattered to God. He cares about smaller details like my taxes and how I respond to the government I live under, even ones I disagreed with, even ones I felt were unjust. You don't have to look very long in the news to find that there are unjust rulers. This is everywhere you look, including in this Russian-Ukraine situation. I'm thankful for this text today. There's some practical wisdom for us in it. And it's going to show us, number one, it's going to teach us and challenge us on where our true allegiance lies. It's going to challenge us on where our true allegiance lies. Number two, it's going to show us that sometimes loyalty to God actually demands loyalty to human governments. But before we get into our passage, I want to remind you of the context. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, and while many were eagerly receiving him as king, the spiritual leaders were rejecting him and actually trying to trap him in his words so that they could condemn him to death. So in response to them, we heard Jesus' parable last week directed at the religious leaders. And in it, he showed that these religious leaders were the culmination of generations of leaders who abused and killed the prophets whom God had so generously sent to them. So Jesus said, the kingdom would be taken from them. One of the striking points Ross made from that parable is that having allegiance to anything over and above God is not a place of neutral ground, but actually opposition to God. Yeah, these religious leaders appeared very religious and God-focused, but their own position of power and their ideas of what Israel and God's kingdom should look like had their ultimate allegiance, not God. Ironically, these leaders with fallen allegiances were going to challenge Jesus's allegiances in this next attempt to catch him in his words. So let's look now at verse 19 as we get into our text. We're told the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. 
but they feared the people. So if they could have, they would have taken him out right then. They wanted him dead. But because they feared the people who held Jesus in such high regard, they, they couldn't do it. So what was their next plan? Verse 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. That is Pontius Pilate at the time. They sent spies to catch him. When I read this, I I get an icky, icky feeling in my stomach. They're so full of murderous hatred towards Jesus that they send spies to try to trap him. They're crafty. Friends, sin makes us do slimy things. Sin leads us to manipulative and deceitful behavior. You see, when we oppose God by making allegiances with our sin or our agenda, we will find ourselves looking more and more like the deceptive serpent than like the image bearers of God we were made to be. Let's see what the spies say. Verse 21, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. First, they try to appeal to Jesus' ego, try to butter him up, something that typically has great persuasive power to humans, not Jesus. And they, they insincerely praise him not, for not being moved by culture or people's opinions. They praise him for teaching truly and rightly the way of God, which is all true of Jesus. But then they ask their cunning question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? What about this question is so cunning, so crafty? What about it is is a setup? What may seem like a simple question, just do we pay taxes or not? But it's so much more than that. This this is a loaded question. And it's meant to challenge Jesus' allegiances and hopefully expose something that could get him killed. You see, the question behind this question is, are you allegiant to Yahweh and his everlasting kingdom or to Caesar and his Roman Empire? And either answer would have put Jesus in a predicament, and they knew that. If Jesus says, yes, it's lawful, then they have grounds for questioning his allegiance to Yahweh and his lordship. So some Jews who believed that paying any tax to a pagan ruler contradicted God's lordship over his people, and, and they would say he's a false prophet or a false leader. He would lose favor in the eyes of those burdened by the taxes and rule of the Roman Empire. They would be seen as no better than tax collectors, as traitors, perhaps worthy of death. But if Jesus says, no, the Roman Empire is subservient to God alone, he could be guilty of insurrection, of being a revolutionary who is leading the people to revolt against the empire. In fact, they're going to make these sorts of claims 
against Jesus on his trial before Pontius Pilate. Either answer has the potential to get Jesus killed. So what does Jesus do? Look at verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness. You may remember a similar word was used of the serpent in Genesis 3.1. They are acting here like God's chief enemy, the serpent, showing their true opposition to God. But Jesus saw straight through them. He saw their deceitfulness. And he said to them, verse 24, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? The denarius was a Roman coin worth a day's wages used throughout the empire. On one side of the coin was the profile of Tiberius Caesar with the Latin inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, around the perimeter. And on the other side was a picture of the Roman goddess of peace, Pax, with the Latin inscription, high priest. So it seems that they presented a coin to him and Jesus asked them who is stamped on it. Caesar, they said. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Verse 26 shows the spy's response, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. They were speechless. They had nothing on Jesus's answer. You see, in, in his wisdom, Jesus diverts their attempt to trap him in his, in his words. He doesn't choose one or the other here, but shows that we can actually be faithful to God's law as the first priority, God can be chief and Lord while also paying taxes, while also being subservient in a lesser way to human governments. Let's dive a little deeper. Jesus doesn't delve into discussion like they want him to on whether Roman rule was just or unjust. Rather, he simply appeals to the reality of the image on the coin. This image shows who rules over the current social order and thus to whom taxes are due. Simply put, Jesus is saying Caesar rules over the current social order. You can see it on the coin. So give back to him what is due to him. On the other hand, in the second statement, give to God what is God's, Jesus lays out a superseding principle. You may give taxes to an earthly ruler, but there is a kingdom and a God that transcends every kingdom and ruler on earth who demands far more than your taxes. He demands our very lives. Jesus' answer doesn't allow us to reduce God's kingdom to something that can be compared to another human kingdom. In fact, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. No, he gives a path forward that allows for God to be chief and Lord, for God to be our first allegiance, 
while we also submit ourselves in a lesser way to human governments. What this means is obedience to the Roman or American government for that matter does not ultimately determine who your allegiance goes to. The bigger question is, do you give yourself to God? Does he have your allegiance? Every nook and cranny of your life, does it belong to God? Last week, we saw that the spiritual leaders' challenge of Jesus' authority ended up putting their lives on the line. In, the, in this second challenge, as they challenge Jesus' allegiances, their own heart allegiance is put to the test. Jesus is revealing that their eternal lives are on the line here. His response actually brings a challenge to his opposers. He essentially says, you challenge me on where my allegiance lies, but who really has your heart allegiance? The problem with the spiritual leaders and those who would follow them in rejecting Jesus is that their allegiance was not ultimately to God, but rather to self-preservation, to money, to social status, to position. And so often the same is true today, that people don't reject Jesus simply because they haven't seen enough of his works or because they feel like they they haven't had it explained to them adequately, but rather because they have a problem submitting allegiance and lordship to the king, to Jesus. Yes, there is work to, be defend, to, to defend the gospel of Jesus. There is work to give an answer to those who challenge it. But you need to know that the core issue is usually a problem of allegiance. Usually a problem of allegiance. Is sexual freedom or orientation more important than God? Is your money, is your future, is your you fill in the blank more important to you than God? What matters is your heart allegiance. That's what Jesus' statement, give to God what is God's, is getting at. Let's dive in a little deeper. Why is this statement so important for us today? How do we tease out, give to God what is God's? I want to take you back to the beginning of the story of creation, just to, to answer that question and just remind you that when God made the earth and when he made humanity, he made us male and female in his image, we're told. So what that means is if you want to know what God is like, Nate, if you're wondering, what is God like? Who is he? Who is this God? Just look around the room and you'll get a pretty good glimpse of God because God is has stamped his image. He has made each and every one of us in this room, everyone on the planet, in his image. Amen? And he made us in order that we would be little representations, not just physically, but also of God's character. That we would act like him, that we would be examples of God on the earth with how we act. 
Every one of us, kind of like we, we hope that our kids will grow up, not only just having our, our image on their face, but also growing up to represent our family and our values and our love for God, that they would honor him in that way and that they would reproduce the good that we try to sow into them. And we all, we were born with this great purpose to image our creator, to bring glory to his name. Isn't that right? We were meant to live our lives for God. Like those silver coins marked with the image of Caesar, their ruler. Friends, we have been marked, we have been made in the image of God and are meant to give back to him what belongs to him. Every part. What this means is that our lives do not ultimately belong to us, but rather to his purpose and plans. Even more, they belong to to him, not just because he made us, but because he purchased us with the very blood of his son, Jesus. The Apostle Paul helped me this week as I was studying. He, He gives us an example of what allegiance to God looks like what full and total allegiance to God looks like, living out this purpose. He says, it should be up on the screen, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of God's great mercy, he says, because of all that he has done, chiefly through Jesus, he says all of our lives, body, soul, belong to God. They ought to be lived for him in a holy, inacceptable way. As a living sacrifice. Friends, a sacrifice cannot be half-hearted. It can't be. What you'd find in the Old Testament when you would look at what a sacrifice looked like, it was an entire animal dead on the altar. The entire thing laid up there before God. Likewise, our whole selves are meant to be presented to God, dead to Daniel Simmons and alive to God's purposes in and through Daniel Simmons, alive to God in and through you as an image bearer of God. So whether we're working or playing or raising kids or paying our taxes, Paul says that we're supposed to present our bodies, our lives, every part of us to God for his glory. And this is, his, this is worship. It's not just worship right now in this room as we raise hands or open our mouths. It's our daily lives. It's the nooks and crannies of your life. But here's the problem with the world. The problem with the world is that we have not given to God what truly belongs to him. We all bear the image of God, as I've said, but every single one of us have rebelled against him. Rather than spreading the image of God on the earth, we have, have a twisted and distorted image and we often look more like the serpent than like our God. Isn't that true? Maybe you think, well, Daniel, I just, I just don't see it. That sounds extreme. I've never submitted myself to Satan. I've never rebelled in that sort of extreme way. Well, Ross said something similar last week, and I, I just want to repeat it. Friends, Satan doesn't need you to go out and commit some great sin. 
in order to gain your allegiance. I mean, every sin is great, but I'm talking about he doesn't need you to go and, and, and curse God in public. That's not what allegiance to Satan looks like. It's, it's simple decisions like cheating on your taxes. It's simple decisions like saying, I, I can tell this little lie to my boss. I can do this or that to try to protect my image or whatever it is. It's little things like that that Satan uses to gain our allegiance. He uses things like that to turn our allegiance away from God. It doesn't ultimately matter to him how he gets you. He'll use the smallest thing as long as he can figure out a way to get your allegiance to be given to something more over and above God. So our life Paul would say, every little part of it, everything we do, everything we say, it is pointing out, it is proving who our allegiance belongs to. Every part of it. Now the truth is, as I've stated, I'm gonna gonna say it again, every single one of us have given our allegiance to Satan. Every single one of us are distorted images of God. And this is exactly why Jesus was sent for us. When Paul was sent to preach Jesus to the Gentiles, God said to him these words, again, up on the screen. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friends, that is why the Lord has come, to deliver us from Satan to God. He has come so that we would not have to be under the the lordship of the enemy and give allegiance to anything but God, but to give all to him. We deserve the wrath of God today, friends, for the ways that we have rebelled and opposed God. But that's not where he left us, amen? He sent his son. God took on flesh and he walked flawlessly as the perfect image of our father, sinlessly as a living sacrifice and even our ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He went to the cross to die the death that you and I deserved for our sins. Isn't that right? He went there so he could deliver us from the power of Satan to God so that we could be forgiven for our rebellion and so that our marred image could be transformed into the image of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we could begin to have that distorted, twisted image become a little bit more like God every single day so that more and more God's character and image is reflected in the earth, bringing him great glory. So I ask you today, what about you? Where does your allegiance lie today. Sitting in these seats doesn't prove it, that your, your allegiance is to God. Your daily lives prove where your allegiance lies. We're told faith without works is dead. A simple confession of faith is not enough. It needs to work itself out over and over and over again. And when I say this, friends, I am not coming to you as someone who 
said at one point in my life, Jesus is Lord, and then everything was peachy from there. My allegiance has been tested and tried, and I have failed and given allegiance to, to Satan and given allegiance to things other than God many, many times in my life, so much so that just this morning in the shower, I was praying, God, forgive me. He's showing me daily how to surrender myself more and more to his lordship. And that's all that he requires of you, that you are not holding fast to something that you say, not this area, Lord, but that you say every single time he highlights something that you have held onto, that you've given greater allegiance to than God, that you say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender and I will walk in your path. That's what he requires of us today. All right, now I wanna get practical. Um, there's, some, uh, there's some good practical wisdom for us here. Should we pay taxes? I hope all of you can say resounding yes from, from what I've said thus far. I just remind you, yes, Jesus gives us a mandate to pay taxes here, and he even gives us the, the ability to have clean consciences as we pay taxes. Jesus was under an unjust rule. He saw evils unspeakable. Paul Evil's unspeakable. We're going to look at some of his words on this matter. And yes, we can still pay taxes with a clean conscience. I want to try to answer the question, how, how then do we practically uh, know how to give allegiance to God first and yet also give allegiance to a nation or a government that we live under? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we live that out. Paul helps us again. So I'm going to put up Romans 13 on the screen. You can read there or open your Bibles. We'll start in verse 1 of Romans 13, which I think, I think this is Paul expounding on some of the teaching that Jesus has given here. He uses similar language. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That word for just means why, uh, because because there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. I know some of you are like, not this government, not this one. You're thinking, you know, you're, you're, you're checking off like, couldn't be that one, couldn't be that one. No, every government, it says all government has been instituted by God. Jesus said this to Pontius Pilate, didn't he? He said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. The man who was gonna give in to the people's evil judgment. He says, you have been given authority by God. I know this brings up questions right now for some of you, and I'm, I can't get into all of it, but I just need you to know that God is good. <laughs> And he has purposes beyond our finite minds in what he's doing in the earth, including what's happening in the world right now. God is good, and he has purposes that are beyond what we see. Let's continue in verse two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? 
Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For, again, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What is the answer then? How do you live? Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also, to, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. And these words are so similar to Jesus. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. These words are challenging, aren't they? We're told that these appointed government officials are, quote, God's servant for your good. You're like, no, how can that be? This is Paul writing, he's seen the atrocities of the Roman government. And he's still writing these words. The servant of God, he says, ministers of God. Paul seems to see that God's kingdom supersedes. It transcends over every earthly reign, over every kingdom, and that God is able to use even unjust earthly kingdoms to accomplish his purposes. We also see here that there's, there's something that happens when we resist officials government that, that God has appointed. We are often resisting God. Verse five says, therefore, you must be in subjection to avoid whose wrath? God's wrath. And it says, for the sake of conscience. What does that mean? We pay taxes not only to avoid God's wrath, to, to show that we're not rejecting God and working against God, but even so that our consciences would be clear before God and men. Man, I've been pricked at times in my life. He wants you to have a clean conscience. So when you pay taxes honestly behind closed doors, when you work to not curse human governments or do any other thing that would go against their, their rule, we're entrusting ourselves to the faithful creator. We're entrusting ourselves to God. We're putting our faith on display in those moments. We're putting our worship to action. We're being a living sacrifice. Yes, it's important to mention that there is a time to resist human government. Absolutely. The apostles show us this, that when they resist the, the human, their human rulers and authorities in Acts, they say, we must obey God rather than men. So if governments come against you and say, you must stop speaking the gospel, you must stop worshiping God, you must disobey him in any way, yes, you will resist them. But here is the conclusion. God is ultimate over everything. That's what Jesus teaches us. That's what Paul teaches us. He is ultimate over every human government, over every human institution, even unjust ones, and he still, he still calls us to give 
a moderate allegiance to human governments. We give a moderate allegiance, we give a moderate submission to human authority while giving ultimate allegiance to God. We give ultimate allegiance to God. What does that look like? It looks like paying taxes or obeying human government laws wherever their commands don't contradict the scriptures. Now, I understand that what I just did was open up a can of worms. You're gonna have a lot of questions. What about in this situation and in this situation? And I can say that the pulpit is not meant to be a place for me to say, do this, do this, do this, and parse out every single detail and command for you. That's not what the scriptures have even done for us. But the scriptures have given us principles and, and one another. The church, God has shown us that the church is meant to, to come around one another and to try to parse the scriptures and say, what do we do in this situation? What about now? What do we do now when our government is is doing something evil in our mind. Those are moments where you seek the Lord together. Those are moments where we need one another. When we feel despair and we're oppressed by human governments, these are the moments where we need one another to help one another continue to be faithful. Like Corey Tenboom. Some of us, uh, some of the ladies in the church are reading The Hiding Place right now. Like Corey Tenboom's sister, Betsy, she needed her in key moments to remind her to give thanks in all circumstances, to remind her to pray for her enemies that were persecuting her and her sister and were putting people through evil in the German concentration camps. We need one another to know how to parse out these words of our Lord. I want to remind you of of good news this morning that God reigns. Church, right now, God reigns. Just get that into your heart and head. We need that right now as we're looking at the news. God reigns, church. He is on his throne. Every human authority, every government is subservient to him. And his purposes, his work, 10,000, 10 million things that we cannot understand or see. God reigns right now. Yes, a single human can inflict great harm. Hitler, Nero, perhaps Vladimir Putin can inflict great harm. But my wife reminded me this, this week They only have one lifetime to inflict evil. God is eternal, isn't he? Think of that, the greatness of God. One man's small little life, a generation, can be snuffed out in a moment by our God. He raises up whom he will. He puts people down when he will and how he will. God is eternal. God reigns. He will forever and ever and ever. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We read this earlier from Psalm 135. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth. Amen? Amen. Even Job, he endured great suffering. And what does he say about his God? He says, I know that you can do all things. 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amen? He suffered great suffering at the hands of Satan. And he said, Lord, no plan of yours can be thwarted. Not one. So take heart. Church, take heart. Do not be anxious right now. Do not fear. Hold fast to these truths that our God reigns. Whether over what is happening in Russia or what is happening in the United States, put your faith in Jesus, remembering that he defeated his enemies by dying on a cross. He put his power on display by dying on a cross. And every enemy will soon be placed under his feet. I want to encourage you then, if that's true, that to not try to take matters into your own hands. That we can do what God said with, with happy hearts. We can obey the rule and authority that we've been put under with happy hearts, open-handedly. I'm not saying that we don't pray zealously. We pray zealously, God, bring justice, bring your rule and authority, but we also do what we're asked to do with a clean and clear conscience, trusting our God in the midst of it. Just a few short days after his, this interaction, Jesus would be marched before Pontius, or he would be, be marched before Pontius Pilate, he'd be brought up, and the people of Israel, incited by their Jewish rulers, would cry, crucify him, crucify him. Even as Pontius Pilate tried to set him free, saying, should I kill your king? The people cried, we have no king but Caesar. Man, they test Jesus' allegiance, but they say that? And Jesus would be turned over to be crucified. But look at this picture. As the Jews bowed to Caesar, even in order to hold their positions of power, our Lord Jesus, led to the slaughter by his authorities, had open hands, willingly submitting himself to his Father, even unto death. What a picture. But we know that through his death, he would triumph. He triumphed, friends, and he's seated at the right hand of God. I challenge you today then, as we look at Jesus and all that he's done for us, that when you feel like you are unjustly treated by human governments, cling to God in trust and submit to him. Submit to him in everything, in all things. Complete allegiance to his lordship, daily surrendering to him everything he says, mine, Everything is his. And his promise to you is at one point he will raise you up. We will rule with him for eternity. So we humble ourselves before him now and he will raise us up just as he did our Lord Jesus. Our God is worthy of our trust, amen? So give God your allegiance even when you pay your taxes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are amazed at your word. You are so wise. Your power and your authority unmatched. Lord, you reign on your throne right now. Though we can't see it, we ask that you would increase our faith so that it will work down into the nooks and crannies of our hearts. Help us, 
today, Lord. Each and every one of us have areas that are not surrendered. And I just ask, Lord, that we would see those things by your Holy Spirit and we will surrender. And Lord, in the midst of the great burdens that we, that we feel and experience in this fallen world, we ask that you would give us grace to trust you. We pray for your help. Help those who are in Ukraine right now to trust you. Those who are in Russia right now and all over the world to trust you, God. You reign. Thank you, our King. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.